Amen. Can you all hear me okay out there? We looking good? Fantastic. I want to let you know the way to get your child to send you a video from college is to ask them to read scripture for church. So if anyone hasn't seen their kiddo in a while, just let us know and we'll start working on them. We'll get you a video in and that kind of thing. But it was really great to uh, hear and see this passage of scripture. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. In Daniel chapter 5, um, we have a story that we may be semi-familiar with, but it's not one of the big stories. It seems like we, we often talk about Daniel and, and his friends not eating the food sacrificed to idols. We often talk about Daniel in the lion's den, which is Daniel chapter 6. We often talk about them not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And we, we have all these different stories. In this story, though, we have one of the most incredible stories of, of a king who is a king for one night and one night only. And what he does, it, it seems something so amazing in the moment that we would find it hard maybe to connect with. But I think so often we find ourselves slipping into the same thing that he does. Um, I don't know if you have pieces of paper like this around your house or office. Um, if you're in my office, you see these little orange note cards all over my desk. This is my memo pad, right? And I don't need them to stick together because I don't ever keep them in order, right? So a memo pad that stays in order defeats my purpose. So I need it spread out all over. And on these memos, you know what I do? I tend to write things that I need to remember and I need to understand. If you were to go into my office, you might read some of these memos and say, Pastor, A, that's not legible. B, if it was, it still doesn't say anything. It's just, it's just scribble. And the reason is, is because I'm writing it for me. I'm not writing it for you. If you come in and you can't read my memos, that doesn't bother me a bit because my memos are about taking information and making sure that it says to me what I need it to say. Now let me tell you something different. My wedding ring is not a memo. Amen? My wedding ring is a marker. You see, every time I look at my wedding ring or I spin my wedding ring or when I think about it, I remember what God has done and the commitment that I've entered into. It's not a memo that I can say, well, when I'm, when I'm done with it, I don't, it doesn't need to mean anything to anybody else. No, I want you to know, if you see this ring on my finger, it means I'm married. It means I'm, I'm off the market. It means I am committed. And all of my days hang in the balance of you and me knowing that. Amen? Right? So what we find ourselves is we realize that a memo and a marker are two different things. A memo is something that we make about ourselves, for ourselves. A marker is something that we recognize, we enter into, that testifies to something greater than ourselves. Now, do you know what's dangerous? It's dangerous when I turn my memo into a marker for the world. It's called idolatry. But you know what's worse? You know what's more difficult? Is when I take a marker and I treat it as a memo. I make it something temporary. I make it about me and about my rules. I, I take what I committed to in front of God and others and I focus all of its attention on me. I think that's why sometimes what was a marker has been created and now turns into a memo in our world today so regularly we don't think much about it. You see, that's what the king has done in Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, chapter 1, 
or verse 1. Read your Bible along with me in this. This is what the Bible says. Then what can I go back into things? It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. Now I want you to catch this. King Belshazzar. Who, who is this guy? Well, it's been 23 years since King Nebuchadnezzar has died. Since King Nebuchadnezzar has died, there's been king after king after king, some reigning for a couple of years, some reigning for a few months. But then there was one king, King Nabonius. And, and he reigned for 17 years. He is seen as the last king of Babylon. Why is he seen as the last king? Because the night before chapter 5 verse 1 records, he, was been, he had been killed by the Medes and the Persians away from the city of Babylon. And his son, in the lineage of Nebuchadnezzar, is looking to shore up everyone's opinion of him. He wants the world to know that he is the new king. He wants the world to know that in light of all that's going on, everything I do tonight is to let you know this is about me. And in the process, he turns a memo into marker. I want you to look with me at verse 23. Later on in the verse, Daniel is brought in. And he says these words. And these need to, to put the whole tone for us today. In verse 23, the Bible says, Daniel says, but you have lifted yourself up against the God of heaven. Church, as we read this story, you're going to be tempted to see some of the grotesque stuff that this king did. Some of the, the things that would be hard for you to believe. You would say, I would never, I would never do those kinds of things. But God recorded his word for us. And so what we're going to look at today as we hold in your hand a marker, this is not a memo. What we're going to be talking about is how you and I may need to make sure that we don't devalue sin. That we don't need to make it less than what it is. Because what we're going to talk about tonight is one king, one night, and one action, and it's bad of turning a marker of the Almighty into a memo to make himself feel a certain way. So let's look back into God's word this morning in chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. Here's the story. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of a thousand. And Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of, of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought in, and the kings and his lords and his wives and his concubines, they all might drink from them. And then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines, they drank from them, and they drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. You see, this moment is such a unique moment in history. We can't let it be lost on us. Here is a young man hearing of his father's death, trying to establish himself as the new king. He is surrounded by the armies of those who have defeated the rest of Babylon, the city of Babylon, out of the whole great empire of Babylon, is the only thing that stands. Inside that city, everybody's captive. We don't know if this young man was, was confident or scared. 
History records that they could have had 20 years worth of food stored up in there. He Maybe he was confident that judgment was so far out in the distance he could enjoy the bridge. Maybe he was trying to put on a good face and prove that he was a leader worth trusting in. Maybe as those surrounded him and those in his courts, he just thought, if I can take matters into my own hands, I can build up the spirit of the people. Maybe he thought back because he would have been alive when Nebuchadnezzar lived. Maybe he said, Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king of Babylon, and there was only one God whom he could not overcome, and that was the God of Israel. So maybe tonight, if I show the people that I can use the God of Israel for my own purposes, then they will see me as worth believing in. Church, have you ever practiced self-deception? Have you ever done that? Have you ever found yourself in a moment where you may think it's the best reasons out there. You may, you may see what's on the line. You might, you might understand the situation you're in. And you have chosen to sell yourself so many lies about why what you're doing is valid. Why at the end of the day, the ends justify the means. Have you ever been in a moment like that? Have you ever spoken to your, your wife in a way that shows the ends justify the means that you're you're believing you'll get through the hard part so that you can get to the end so you just turn a marker into a memo about yourself let me tell you something about Babylon the kingdom was defeated that night but the spirit of Babylon still believed it ruled you know today as we take the Lord's Supper it's not by happenstance that you and I hold this marker in our hand. Because it reminds us of the one who overcame the spirit of Babylon, not through difficulty, but through intentionality. It reminds us of the covenant that we have entered into. Because if you and I find ourselves this moment like the king did on that night, we're tempted to look at the world and see how the world has impacted us. What someone has done to us what the, the society has done to us, what one party or another party, what one ethnicity or another ethnicity, what they have done to me. And so I have a right to hold as many memos if I, as I want because if you had the situations that I have in my hand right now, you'd be doing the same thing. Have you ever felt like that? Let me walk you through why this moment is so important. The Bible says in verse 4, they drank and praised the God of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Do you know what all those things have in common? All of them were fashioned from the mind of man in order to be something or to re represent something that they had created in themselves. What they were doing was when they were taking their memos and making them into markers. At the same time, they took the treasures of God and made them into memos to serve their markers. You might think, Pastor David, I don't know where you're going with this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For we are God's workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus for good works, for things that glorify him. We are God's workmanship. He has made us. We are God's markers into the world. Paul would call us ambassadors. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We were not fashioned in the heart of the minds of men, but of the Almighty God who reigns forever. For what? To do good works. Who defines what good works does? What, what they are? The one who fashioned us. Our Heavenly Father. You see, <clears throat> when we treat ourselves as anything but God's workmanship, then we create ourselves an idol. But at the same time, we live in a world that looks as people as stepping stones. You can't find a civilization in history where one group of people has not abused another group of people in order to turn them from markers into memos for someone's glory. When we look around our country today, I see everybody trying to solve problems by turning markers into memos. Do you know when you and I deal with others that we are dealing with markers of God whom should reflect his glory and his image? So when we deal poorly with, when we sin and make ourselves greater than, then we find ourselves guilty just like the young man on this night. Maybe you're thinking of what have you been given? I put my wallet down, but if you have your wallet, pull it out this morning. Man, if you got, just put your, you can pull it out, but I don't want you to hold it up. We're not going to compare wallets. We can do that in a tithing sermon later on. Okay? But, but when you hold that wallet in your hand, men or women, is that a marker for the glory of God? Or do you open it up and use it to satisfy your own desires whenever you're hungry? I want you to put your hands together for a moment. This is your body. When you use your body in this world, do you do it to turn the marker of God into a memo to make you feel good when you want a little bit extra attention? Do you use it for the glory of God or do you use it for your own? Do you know that you are a living, breathing testimony of God? If we abuse, when we do that, we sin against the Almighty, just like the young man on that night. I could, we could pull out our phones and do the same thing. Is it a tool for the glory of God? Or is it a tool for marking my life? We could go deeper and start meddling, but we won't have to do that because you know, right? What the Scripture shows us is that you and I are in danger when we make the big things of God small enough for us to be their end. And that's where sin finds a home. Look with me in your Bible at verse 5 through 7. This is where God takes note. This is what he says. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace opposite the lampstand. The king saw the hand as it wrote. The king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together, and the king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The, the king declared to the wise men, whoever reads this writing, 
Whoever shows me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Here's what God did. He showed up on the scene. He didn't make a loud thunderous noise. He didn't have to prove he was greater. He just had a hand show up and write on the white stone of the walls of Babylon words that the king could not understand. I want you to know, church, the Lord gives us his witness to remind us that he is not backed out at this moment. The Lord gives the king of Babylon his witness to know that he is not some distant God, unconcerned with the ways of his people and all mankind. And so he shows this king it is important. Well, the king goes wild looking for someone to answer, and finally he's reminded about Daniel. When Daniel comes in, we'll go back to verse 22 and verse 23. As Daniel's talking, this is what he says. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. Before we go any further, just stop for a second. We're not looking at handwriting on the wall in our life right now. Maybe you are, but, but in this moment, it gives us a moment to step back and see what's going on. What Daniel says is, though you know all of these things, you still choose to hold on to what you want, regardless of the opinion of the Almighty. Church, let that sink in. Let that sink in right here and right now. Because before we take the Lord's Supper, we'll, we'll get here. Are you struggling or dealing with things that you have turned the markers into God to memos about you and you don't care? Or maybe you're just numb. Hear the indictment of Daniel to this king who would die this night. Though you knew all of this, you have still lifted your hand against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought before you and the lords and the wines and the concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone which you do not see, hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath who, whose are all your ways you have not honored you see the indictment is this though you know it all Though you have been exposed or without, or without excuse, you have still chosen to hold on to your memos instead of living out your life as a marker. You have not humbled your heart. Church, humility is not a quality that our society values. Maybe it was once upon a time, I'm not sure. But as we look at the landscape today, it's the loudest and the boldest and the brightest and the biggest. But humility never. When's the last time a politician said, I got it wrong? I haven't been alive. We do not value. We do not value humble hearts. Why? Because the spirit of Babylon would never take responsibility for such an offense. So he doubles down, not only will I drink of the things of God, but so will my wives and my concubines. Can you imagine 
the vile picture before God? You see, we must know the reality of the conviction and the depth of the judgment. We don't like talking about judgment, but this is what verse 24 through 28 says. From then his presence of his hands was sin, and his writing was inscribed. And this was the writing inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tikal, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tickle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Listen, I know we love digging into what those words mean, but God gives it to us. So let's not get lost in the details and miss the purpose. This judgment is severe. This judgment in the one night is carried out completely. His life is taken. Why? Because it has been numbered and the days of his life has added up to nothing. It has been measured, the scope of his rule, his value, and the things that he's chased. They have no worth. And so God will give what he has valued to someone else. This is a severe judgment. I think back to other judgments of God. Noah striking the rock. Excuse me, Moses striking the rock. And God saying, because you struck the rock, you won't enter the promised land. And thinking, God, that sounds kind of harsh. This guy just drank out of the wrong cup. That sounds kind of harsh. Like, God, you wouldn't really send people to hell if they're good people. That sounds kind of harsh. Lord, you know the position I am in. You know why I think like I do. And because you know me, you wouldn't be that harsh. Let me tell you something. The judgment of God on the actions of men who take the things of glory and make them into fashions of futility is equal in weight to the promise and the joy of the God whom it offends. You see, the judgment is so great because the promise is so good. And that's the Lord's Supper. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 27 through 29. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let that person examine himself and eat the bread and drink the wine, drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You see, if you're holding a cup this morning, hold it in your hand. I don't need to see it. But what Jesus told us is this is the marker so that we would remember his glory and his greatness. This is the marker so that we would remember that he was broken for us so that we would not have to be broken. This is the marker that he died on the cross for us so that we could come into the new covenant and not be, be torn by the old covenant that only showed us judgment. In all of our faith, this marker, this symbol, reminds us of the greatest truth that has ever been known. That if any man is in Christ, he is new. That we are more than conquerors 
Jesus in John 16 would say, Peace I leave with you. In me let you have peace, because in this world it's going to be tough. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This marker reminds us of the joy before us. So church, the enemy desires. The enemy desires that this marker simply be an act and a ritual. The enemy desires that you not see yourself as a marker of the Most High. The enemy desires that you not see what you've been given as markers for his glory. The enemy desires for you to make all those things worthless. Because if those things are worthless markers, then you might start thinking that you serve a weak God. And this morning, I want you to know that we do not serve a weak God. Church, the judgment of God on this young man that night was a, was a symbol and a story and a reminder to us that there is nothing in this world that is worth more than the relationship, than the joy that we have in our Maker. How much better is it to handle holy things than worthless things? Rocks are all over. How much better is it to, to hold the hand of your child than it is 500 pebbles in your hand? How much better is it to hold the hand of the Almighty than make all of His works small so that you can manage all of His things in your own strength? So today our invitation is preparation. The judgment of God is, is great because the promise of God is unfathomable. It's unthinkable. So as we have our time of, of response and invitation, I want you to stay where you are. I want you to hold this cup in your hand. And I want you to just join me in examining my heart so that as we take the Lord's Supper, it may be act of returning to him, of letting go, or it may just be his hand upon our shoulders saying, well done, hold fast, cling to me. Father God, we love you. Lord, this morning we come before you. Lord, we confess. Although we would, we would love to say, I would never do what this young man did that night. Father God, I've been guilty a thousand times of taking the markers of God and turning them into things to soothe myself. Lord, would you examine our heart individually and as a church? Would you allow us to find ourselves in front of you, God, so that we could be overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the glory of the promise maker and the promise keeper? We praise you for your life and your gift in Jesus' name.